God, uh, I, I love you so much. I love what you're doing in my life and the life of this church individually. And as, uh, you're just showing us and teaching us so many things. And so we have, this last month, God, we have been uh, opening up your word and then taking our life and laying it down and, and putting it under review. And that's been really, really hard for some of us. But, but today, as we wrap up the series, God, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to ask you to teach us what only you can teach us about yourself, about what you say is a better way to live. And then connect that to our real, our real life when we walk out of this building. And then help them both make sense so that we can have that better life that you promised to give. So God, we're going to lean into some really hard stuff today. Teach us as only you can do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today we're going to wrap up this under review series where if you haven't been here, we, ca- we carved out the first month of the year to take four, and according to Jesus, four of the most important areas of life and put them under review. And the reason we call them the most important is, first of all, Jesus did. Jesus says these, these are so important. Jesus pointed these four areas as the most telling, revealing indicators of what you really do believe to be true about who God is and how much you actually do trust him. Right? The, way, the way that Jesus said it was, was this. He says, and we're going to look at this again later, later today. He says, but, but out of the overflow or, or what, out of what's stored up in your heart, what's going on on the inside of you, that makes its way out. And, and that's what comes out of your mouth. You speak out of what's stored up inside. It's what, it's, it's what makes your feet walk over there, makes your hands do this. It's what your eyes fixate on. Your money flows towards the things that, that are stored up in, in your heart. Or the way that we've said it all, all month long is this. Actions reveal true beliefs. And that's just true. It doesn't matter what I say or what I stand up here and, and preach. Follow me around for a week and then you'll figure out what I really believe is actually true. So that's the first reason. And then the second reason that these are most important, we know that simply by experience. See, when we mention, it's going to happen again today, when we mention any of these four areas, if we're willing to be really honest, and that's the point of this whole series, we have to be honest about the reality that we have been living our lives in. If you look around, the heads are going to start nodding in a second as we review our own lives and the circumstances we've been in or what we're in right now and how, how, how these four things have been or even are affecting us based on how we're doing, for better or worse, in these four areas of life. So if you haven't been here, let me just spend a few minutes just kind of catching this up, uh, what we've been doing over the last three weeks in here. Week one, we started by putting God under review, not if there's a God, but if there's a God, how do I see God and how do I believe that God sees me? That's a big one. When I say God, like what do you think of right away? When I, when I say this is how God feels about you, what's the first thing that comes in, into mind, all right? Jesus said of the four areas that we look at, this is the most important one. It's the greatest commandment to figure out. Not only what the answers to the, that is, of what is, who is God and who am I to him, but also if the answers you come up with are different than what God says about himself and his word or different than what Jesus said that we could believe about God, the question goes like this, why do we believe what we do? Why, why do we believe what we do about God and about who we are to God? And where did that come from? Because there's a reason. None of us landed on the belief system that we have, you know, in a vacuum, there's a reason, all right, and it usually goes something like this. Something happened in our life or didn't happen in our life in the past, and we try to make sense of it. This is who God is, I think, and then this is what happened in my life, and I put them together, and then I landed on what I've decided is real or true or trustworthy, and then I took that definition, I threw it on God, and I said, God, you must be like that, or I, or I put it on myself, and I went, well, I must be worth this much based on my experience, and so we, we put all that under review that first week and ask ourselves some honest questions so that we haven't inadvertently or, or accidentally been living our lives, believing or leaning our lives against something that felt right in the moment. We try to make sense out of life and it felt right in the moment. We leaned our lives against it, but a day is coming, probably not today or maybe not even this week, but down the road, you're gonna lean your life against what you believe is true and it won't hold you up. It'll fall over and your life will fall apart. Not because you're dumb or, or stupid or bad or unspiritual, but because it's just not true. We thought it was true and it's just not. 
We want to make sure that we are leaning our lives against something that's actually real and true. So, so we looked at some big important questions. Remember this? Does God like me? I mean, I assume he loves me, but does, does he like me? Does God treasure me? Am I important to God? Does God protect me? Sometimes it feels like he doesn't, right? Is God actively at work in my life? A lot of times we're trying to figure out what's God's plan for my life. And all through the Bible, we find out that all those things are true. And the Bible says that God and his word never change. So if, if that's what God stuck in the Bible thousands of years ago, then it has to be true today. So if it's not true in your life, this is what, who God is, but it doesn't feel like that in my life, put that under review and go, why not? Why? It seems like a lot of people in this room, they have no problem believing in God like that or believing that they're important to God. Why do I have a hard time? Why am I stuck and I can't get past that? You gotta put that under review. Change your life. So time out here, a com- commercial break, okay? About a couple months ago, I, we, we, we launched a new value around here called Intentional Apprenticeship. And I said, in March, we, we have this, this training that's coming and it's about to happen. So if you have, today you're gonna need your phone a lot to take pictures of these screens because there's a lot of stuff you're gonna wanna remember. So to, to, to give all three campuses an e- equal opportunity to register because at Flatters, if you're new around here, everything fills up in about five minutes, all right? So retreats fill up, workshops fill up, and this is gonna do the same thing. So this goes live at three o'clock today on the Flatters website. Website. So get on there, no matter what campus you're, you're on, get on there. And if you look there, there's a cost to register that covers materials. But like everything else at Flatirons, if, if money's an issue for you that says, I, I can't pay that, then there's instructions there on the website about what you need to do. And we'll, we'll, we'll help you with that. Now, let me just save myself some emails. But I'm going to Africa, so I don't care. So, so <laughs> see, I've read the rest of the sermon and there's going to be emails, I, pro- I promise. Right? But, but um, on there, you're gonna, it's going to ask this question, have you completed the Flatirons basic training? All right? <clears throat> we talk about this all the time. Out in the, in the info center, in all three lobbies, all right, there's a basic training book, which is like a 30-day kind of walk through a, a belief system and what the Bible teaches is true and just really, really basic what we believe here at Flatirons. And that is a prerequisite to take this, this, this course, all right? So if you have not done that, do that first. A lot of people have been stopping by the info center. They, they haven't run out. So just go out and go, I need one of those books, all right? And, and then register for the next course because this isn't a one-time thing that happened in March. All right, this is a from now on thing, all right? And so, so just get everything clear, all right? Registration starts today at three o'clock on the website. There's dates, times, and registration for this campus, for West Campus, and for the downtown campus. They're all different times and different dates, okay? So that, that's the first, the first one we covered. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at what Jesus called, this wasn't my opinion, what Jesus says, this is the biggest indicator of what you actually believe or who or what you'll actually believe will take care of you when your life gets hard. And Jesus pointed to God's biggest competitor for your faith. God's number one competitor for your faith, all right? And, and he made it really, really clear. God's biggest competitor for what you're trusting to take care of you is not, you, you cannot serve both God and Satan. That's where a lot of us jump to. God's on one end of the spectrum. Satan must be on the opposite. But, you know, I don't, I don't really deal with this a lot. Should I serve Satan today? I didn't even think about that all, all day long, all right? I have other things going on. It goes like this. You cannot serve both God and what? Money, that's what Jesus said. The biggest competitor for who's gonna take care of me when life gets hard isn't Satan, it's, it's money. Not that money in any amount is a good thing or a bad thing. It's not. Money's not good, money's not evil. Money's neutral. When you think about it, it's, you're in charge of money. You get to decide where the money goes, all right? The presence or absence of money is not your biggest problem or your biggest asset, even though in this world it feels like it, doesn't it? If I have a lot of money, my life's gonna be okay. If I don't have any money, my life will never be okay. But ask people in both camps, and that's not, that's not always true. Feels like it. 
But what Jesus said, said was this, the problem comes when we put our faith in money to do for us what only God can do for us. And so Jesus warns, as you're making money, and there's nothing wrong with making money, all right? He says, make sure that as you're doing that, that you build your life investing in the things that God says are most important along the way. Don't ignore those. And it's not, it's not because you know, Jesus wants a cut of your, of your salary. Jesus doesn't need your money, all right? He's, he owns everything. If, he, if God wanted to take your money from you, he wins, all right, all right, right? He can do anything he wants. So the reason Jesus says, I want you to prioritize my father in your life is I don't want you to come to a point in your life where you run into something, your family runs into something, your marriage runs into something, whatever that is, and money can't fix this one, right? Can't, can't help you, can't rescue you, can't protect you. And then here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna do what we all do when your life hits a wall. You're gonna look around for God and, and discover, I don't have God in my life. Not because there's anything wrong with God, not because God did something right or wrong, not because God left you, but... Because this is how a lot of us, this is how I've lived my life a lot. We kind of lived our life like this. God, you're on the list and I'm gonna get to you. You're like number five. I got these four other things I gotta do, all right? But as soon as I get that, as soon as I pay for that, if I have anything left over, then, then, then you are on the list. But the truth is, all right, the truth is most of us have ignored God until our life fell apart. And then we look to him and we run to him and we have nothing to lean our life against in this life or, or the next. And so... So Jesus said, says things like this, money is a great slave, but a horrible master. Isn't that true? I hate being chained to debt. I hate being chained to payments. I, I, I do. Money's a, a great slave. I love to tell it what to do, but it's a horrible master. So the big takeaways go like this. They weren't really deep and they're, they're, they're hard, but they're, they're very simple. Don't go any further into debt than you already are and pay off whatever debt you're currently carrying. And as you're doing that, can't change your past, but from now on, be sure to invest your money as Jesus believed and taught. Move towards tithing, towards your local church or house of worship. And then after that, look around the world, see what God cares about and you care about it and give as much money in that direction as you can. So that was two weeks ago. And then last week, Scott took us through a review of those people that we are allowing to speak into our lives. Awesome message. If you weren't here, get online and watch that. And I love the metaphor that Scott used. Remember this? He asked this question, who gets to have a seat at the table of our life? That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a great picture, right? Who gets to have a seat at the table of our life? What friends have our permission and our trust to speak truth into our life, even truth that hurts? We won't take that from many people, but who do we give permission? And, and we actually expect them to speak truth into our life because we trust and love that person. And we believe that that person loves us and that his or her intentions, the reason they're saying this is for our good. Who, who are the friends in your life? Who are your two in the morning friends that will always be there for you? Who will get between you and harm so that you don't fall down? But even if you do fall down, who will be there for you to pick you up when you fall down? And so last week, we put our friendships under review. And we looked at some really, really key truths, right? Like, like, like this. Remember this? Iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. If you ever rub iron together, it gets hot. Sparks fly sometimes, right? Friends make us better. <laughs> friends just don't tell us what, what the things that we want to hear. Remember that when you were kids? Like, all my friends agree with me. Well, you know what? You don't have very good friends, Right? I don't, you know, if, you, if you have somebody in your life that says, you know, I didn't want to hurt your feelings or, you know, I didn't want to make you mad at me or something like that. Listen, the Bible has a word for yes men or kiss ups. God says, they're not your friend, they're your enemy. They're not your enemy. Don't trust them. If everybody around you tells you just things you want to hear, they're not your friends. How about this? Two are better than one in case you fall down. One of you falls down. Well, that might change that. Two are better than, two are better than one because you're going to fall down. Right? And if you fall down on your own, then you're just down. How about this? A person with wise friends becomes wise, but a companion of fools becomes a... And a lot of us look in the rearview mirror of our life and go, well, that's sure, right? College, 
ta-da, right, right? So, I mean, it's like, you, you, you say, hey, I'm going to hang out with these people. And then you look back, why did I start hanging out with her? Why did I start hanging with him? Why did I listen to them, whatever? And my life went off a cliff, right? Why? Because a person with wise friends becomes wise, but a companion of fools becomes just like them. So put your friendships under review and choose wisely. And I love how Scott landed this thing last week. For those of us who say, I don't, I don't need any friends. I don't need people in my life. I, I, don't, I don't need any. I'm, I'm fine on my own. And if that's you, all right, then, then you're claiming actually to be smarter than Jesus. Because Jesus said, he warned, he pitied the, Mr. T ripped him off. I pity the fool who says, I, some of you don't know who that is. Shut up. All right, but anyway, but Jesus says, listen, I pity the person that says, I don't need anybody because you're going to fall down. And you're gonna need somebody. So unless you're smarter and wiser than Jesus, write this down, you're not, right? Then put your friends under reviews and choose wisely from this point on. So, so here are the big three, like most important areas for under reviews so far, and then we'll get to the new one, all right? Three weeks ago, what do I believe and trust to be true about who God is and who I am to him and why do I believe that? Hang on to that, we'll come back to that at the end. Next, what do I believe and trust to be true about money and God and who best can take care of me based on how I have st- historically pursued getting money and prioritize spending money, and what would I need to do if I wanted that to change? Might need to rethink that part of my life. And then last week, are the people that I am choosing and allowing to sit at the table of my life wise and trustworthy? And if not, who should or shouldn't be there in the future, all right? Which brings us to number four most important, all right? Number four most important indicator of who and what I believe to be true about God and what I believe that, that, he, that he thinks about me. And that would go like this. Our fourth area we're gonna look at is your physical body. And this is where people are going, I should have stayed home, right, right? Because, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Or let me just say it a little bit different, all right? Actually, your physical body and everything you do with it and to it. And again, some of us are going, that, that's not any better, all right? So, so let me put it in, in, the, in the form of a question, all right? Because it gets worse. How about this? What statement is your outward, external, physical behavior, habits, actions, and decisions making about your internal spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ? What are you doing on the outside with this stuff that is making a statement about what you believe to be true about Jesus on the inside? What's your statement? You notice what I'm not asking? Are you making a statement? You are. You are. All right, you are. So, so actions reveal true beliefs. So, so what is the statement that you're making about what you believe to be true about Jesus Christ and his importance, his role in your life? And if we were to measure that by what you're choosing to do or not do with your external bodily behaviors and activities, what could we conclude about who Jesus is to you? Now, time out, all right? Two people left, but how about this, all right? I, I know that while the other three areas of life that we've already reviewed, for some of us we go, it was hard. Felt intrusive, but, but if, we were, if we were honest, we would have to admit, you know, there, there was, all right, there was some, a little bit of truth in there for me, all right? There, there was some truth. I don't want to admit it, but you look back over the last three weeks, we looked at God, and some of us would say, yeah, I've turned God into something different. I didn't like that part of God, so I just left that out, or I just put something in, so I probably need to look at that. Or we looked at money, and that was tough. And a lot of us, you know, we, we, we have everybody fooled on the outside, but inside we know that's not going well. I might want to rethink that part of my life. And then last week, friends, yeah, that's, that's important. Because a lot of us, again, if we were honest, we, we have a thousand Facebook friends, but we spend most days by ourselves. So I might want to look at that. So those three are a little bit intrusive. But when it comes to what is your physical body saying about your relationship with God, this is where it just gets dangerous for me, all right? I have extra security, just so, so you know, all right? So because when I say, let's, let's take a look at what you're doing with your body. This is when the eyes narrow and tempers and blood pressure start rising because I know what's going on right now. You're already having conversations with me in your head and they're not nice. 
right? Right? You're, 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 like, you're, you're looking at this going, what's he about to say? What's he about to say? Are you, are you going to say that I'm a bad person or a bad Christian because what? How would you finish that sentence? Jim, are you about to say I'm a bad person or a bad Christian because how would you finish that sentence? And why would you pick that for your life? Right? So well, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me give you some examples. How about this, all right? Are you going to say I'm a bad person or a bad Christian because I overeat and I'm overweight or I drink too much? You're saying I'm a bad Christian because of that? Because I have sex with people I'm not married to? You're saying I'm a bad person because of that? You're saying I'm a bad Christian or a bad person because my speech is peppered with gossipy, filthy, obscene, racist language? Are you saying I'm a bad person or a bad Christian because I'm selfish, self-centered, angry, and intentionally intimidating? Or I'm passive and codependent and needy? Are you, that, are you saying that makes a statement about me? That I'm, that I'm obsessed with fitness and how I look? And I, that I've given up and I don't care if I'm healthy or how I look? Are you saying I'm a bad Christian or a bad person? because I never read my Bible. I only attend church when it's convenient and I never serve or give anything to anybody anywhere. Are you saying I'm a bad person because of that? Did I cover them all? <laughs> right? Some of you going, you look, yeah, you, you, yes, all right? Are you gonna say I'm a bad person or a bad Christian because any or all of those things? No. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not gonna say that. You got ahead of me, all right? But my actual question is this. Are you gonna try to claim that any of those things are totally not related to your relationship with and your faith in Jesus and what he said was right, true, and best? Are you really gonna sit here and go, that has nothing to do with me and Jesus? Really? Really, honestly? Because even if you try to make that claim, let's be honest, you don't even believe that. And if you say, yes, I do, what I do with my body physically or sexually or whatever that, that's totally independent of my relationship with Jesus. If you're going to hang on to that, your real disagreement is with Jesus, not me. Not me. I'm just quoting Jesus. Email him. I'm going to Africa. So, right? So, 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 I, I, so I was in my office. I was in my office this week. And this, you're getting version two of this talk. Because I had this aha moment that actually caused what, what I was going to say. It was going to be a really, really long talk and with explanations and applications of how, what we can do to bring our bodies in alignment with what we claim to be about Jesus. And, and I changed it. It's still long. But the, 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 the reality is this. If we can get our heads and hearts around this one big truth we're going to look at today, then, then you're smart enough, most of you, to, to, to figure out how this applies to any of those. So are you saying that statements that this immediately come up whenever you say, we're going to talk about that part of your body? See, well, here's what I mean by that. About a year ago, we spent almost a full year looking at one sentence that kept coming out of Jesus' mouth. And as soon as I say it, you're gonna go, oh yeah, I remember that. It's the number one message of Jesus. It's the number one truth. It's the number one phrase that he opened up almost every talk or sermon or message or speech or whatever you wanna call it. He called it the good news or the gospel. And all, all you Christians who've been to church, you know, a couple years, when you hear the word good news or gospel, you jump right to this. Are you meaning, are you saying, if you will put your faith in Jesus and your trust in Jesus and what he did on a cross to pay for your sins, you'll be saved by grace through faith and live eternally connected to God? yes. That's absolutely true, but I'm just going to pop a little of your, of, of your Christian bubble here, all right? That, that's absolutely true. Jesus just didn't talk about it a lot. I mean, he did talk about it, but that wasn't like at the top of the list of things he talked about. What he talked about more than anything else was simply this. Remember this? Repent. Remember that? What does that mean? You might want to rethink how you think about everything. You might, all the parts of you might want to rethink how you think about everything. Why would I want to do that, Jesus? Because the kingdom, the presence of God, the presence of Jesus in your life is near and available. It didn't used to be. You were cut off, but it's near and available. Jesus says it's as near as the air around your head. He's that close. In other words, according to Jesus and because of Jesus, it's now possible to take all the parts of your life, all of them, 
All right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Body, sexuality, spirituality, marriage, family, money, health, persecution for people around you, death, mourning. Take everything, all the parts of your life that are going great, all the parts that are absolutely a mess, and take them and put them inside of Jesus, inside of the kingdom of heaven, and they just mean something different. All the parts of your life, the spiritual ones, the physical ones, all those things, the relational ones, take them and put them in, inside the kingdom of Jesus and what he says is right and true, and they just mean something different. I'll give you an example of that. All the big parts. Here's a big one. Physical death means something different in the kingdom of heaven. It just, it just, it just does. It, it, just, it has a totally different meaning and purpose to it. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Funerals are different in the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you a great one for me, all right? Yesterday was the four-year anniversary of my dad dying. Four years ago yesterday. And I'm sad. Without apology, I'm really, really sad. So, so do, you do you have hope, Jim? Yes. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know what? My dad is fine. My dad's with Jesus. I'm going to see my dad someday. Why? Because my dad is in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if my dad died outside the kingdom of heaven, who knows? Right? But I have this peace. And I, I miss him because I really want him to be here. I want to talk to him again. But I will see him again because death in the kingdom of heaven is totally different than death on your own. Right? How, how about this? Money means something different when you look at it from a kingdom perspective. I didn't do that for a lot of years of my life. I shared that with you a couple years ago. And I dug a big hole and then I took my finances, the real part of my life, and put them in the kingdom of heaven and my life changed. Being a man, a husband, and a father means something different in Jesus, right? But being a man, husband, and father in this world, who knows? It's just a moving target. Being a woman, wife, and mother means something different. And by that, I mean better in the kingdom of heaven. See, we live in this broken world that's screwed up by sin. Other people's sins have landed on us and our sins have landed on other people. And we have these voices in our head, these tapes that keep playing, that try to tell us that we can't be with God based on what we've done in the past or what was done to us. We can never have the life that Jesus said that he came to give us. But Jesus says, the reason I came to give you, the reason that gospel is true, that I died on a cross and rose from the dead is to take away all the obstacles, all the barriers. We're gonna talk about this in the next series. It's like a big veil got ripped in half and you go, you can come right to God. Everything that kept you away from God, Jesus has now taken care of. But now that he has done that, now that he has removed the chains and the separation from, from, from God, including all of our past and even our future mistakes, it is now possible to take all the parts of your life, lay them inside the kingdom of God and have them mean more than you ever thought possible. All of them. All of them, not just your heart, all right, or your spiritual parts, your physical body and everything you do with it and do to it and what it does to other people and what you allow other people to do to your body it means something different. You are better in the kingdom of heaven than on your own. You are. But if you want to go on your own, good luck. See, according to secular humanism, which is just, hey, God, you're irrelevant to my life and evolution. Let me tell you who you are. You are a highly evolved physical animal trying to eat to survive. These are your priorities. I'm trying to eat to survive and find someone to reproduce with. That's romantic. Put that on your Valentine's card in two weeks. <laughs> hey, happy Valentine's Day. I'd like to eat some food and reproduce, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. And yeah, some of you going, I, I dated him, right? I had to... <laughs> some of you going, I married him. Look straight ahead, right, right? <laughs> but that's all you got on your own, but you in the kingdom and your body in the kingdom and how you treat food and how you treat sex and how you treat other people means something different. It's just better, something more. You mean more when you put your life in the kingdom of heaven. Let me just say this, if you're still chained to the old definitions of what those parts of your life meant because of what happened and they're destined to always look like that, and it'll always be like that, this will always be a problem and it will never change and it will always rule my life, Jesus' message to you is that's not true. It's not true. Jesus made it possible for any of the parts of your life that don't match with what he says is true and best. He says, I'm gonna make it possible to change. 
So my remaining time today, I'm not, I'm not going to try to talk you into changing how you eat or change your sexual habits. I'm, a, a little bit. I'm going I'm to a little bit. All right. But, but what I want to look at is just a couple key truths and realities. And then, again, you're smart people. I want you to lay that beside what's currently going on in your life or your plan for your life and then put it all under review. And then you're going to make a decision. So I'm, I'm going to stop kind of abruptly at the end of this. And then you're going to have to rethink this part of life. Just like a ball game, we're going to call a timeout. And you're going to regroup or repent or rethink your strategy for how you're going to play the game called life from this point on. And it could be very different. All right? So this is where we're going. That was the introduction. All right. All right. So listen to this quote from one of my favorite teachers and authors in the world. His name is Dallas Willard. This is from his book. All his books are good, but this is awesome. It's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. This is so deep. Listen to this. He says, one of the greatest deceptions or lies in the practice of the Christian religion is the idea that all that really matters is our internal feelings, ideas, beliefs, and intentions. A lot of Christians believe that, right? All that matters is how I feel inside, all right? It is this mistake about the psychology of the human being, how things really work, that more than anything else divorces salvation or what we believe to be true about Jesus, divorces that from life, leaving us with a head full of vital truths about God and a body unable to fend off sin. That's good. See, what Dallas is saying is simply this. The reason that so many of us, and I put myself in this category, are constantly making the same mistakes over and over and over and committing the same sins over and over and over is simply because we have not connected the reality that goes like this. What you feel or what you think or what you say you believe about God doesn't make any difference at all if you don't get out of bed in the morning and build a strategy to put what you feel and believe into practice with this stuff, with your body. Otherwise, just save your time because it doesn't make a difference. James says the same thing. He's the half-brother of Jesus. Look at this. Read this whole chapter later. He says, what good is it? He's going to throw out some questions. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, I believe all the right stuff about Jesus. What good is that? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, doesn't do anything. Here's the question. Can that faith save him? And he doesn't answer it, so you're going to have to answer it for yourself. Then he gives this illustration. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, let's just bring this into Colorado, right? If you get in your car and you're driving down 287 or wherever you're on your way home and you see a poor little naked child by the side of the road and they're shivering and they're hungry, that's the metaphor, okay? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you, right, one of you listening to my voice right now, says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things they need needed for the body here's a question what good's that you may have an answer right so also faith by itself if it does not have works is what it's dead so let's go back to what the kind of the questions we asked earlier so pastor jim are you saying i'm a bad christian if i'm driving home today and i see somebody's naked and hungry and i don't help them is that what you're saying no i'm not saying you're a bad christian james is saying that whatever you're calling i'm a christian is dead right because look, look at these next couple of verses here. He says, but someone, someone will say, you have faith, I have works. I don't believe in Jesus, but I do good stuff in the world. James says this, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I'll show you what I believe by what I do. And then he just lobs this grenade in here just for effect. Look at this, I love this. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. That's a good thing to believe. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So I believe in God, Awesome, you're in the same category with demons, right? Oh, I'm doing well, right? But I hear this all the time. Don't judge me. I, I, I believe in God. I'm spiritual, all right? James says, that's great. Demons believe in God. D- 
Demons believe all the same things about God that Jesus believes about God. Demons believe the same thing that a lot of us Christians say that we believe to be true about Jesus. The difference between us and demons is we get out of the morning and those of us who put our faith in Jesus live life differently in the flesh. We, we just di- live life differently in all the parts of our, of our life. Paul writes this, I love this. He says, I appeal to you therefore, right? And brothers, in, in, mer- in view of, of God's mercies or by the mercies of God, in view of everything that Jesus has done for us, I appeal to you to present your, and what's the word? You know what he doesn't say? Give Jesus your heart. I went to church camp all my life and on Friday night it was always, give Jesus your heart. You know what? That is not even in the Bible. I mean, I know what you mean by it, you know, but it's not in there. Paul gets right to it. Listen, if you want to give something to God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, what's the word? That's really important. See, Paul's crystal clear on this. Our, our spiritual worship, it's not just singing songs in a building or praying prayers, you know, or even believing a list of the right things to be true about Jesus. No, it always involves this. It always involves flesh. It always involves presenting our bodies to God. Or the way Jesus would say it is this. Put your physical, sexual, young, old, healthy, aging, prone to get hungry, bent towards addiction body, put yourself in the body that you are currently living in. Not the body that you wish you had or that you used to have or if things had changed, then my body, I'd be able to serve Jesus. No, no, no. The body that you live in right now, take that, put it inside of who Jesus says and what Jesus says is true because when you do that, it's called worship. Worship and worship by definition, is a statement about what I believe to be true about God. You want to know what I believe to be true about God? Watch how I live my life in this body, right? In other words, back to that original truth we looked at. It is impossible to divorce what you believe about God from what you do to and with your body. It's impossible. Some of you say, well, I'm trying. Well, Jesus says it's not going to work. Reality, just, it won't allow it. It's, it's just true. Actions reveal truth beliefs. So they're the top four, right? When it, but when it comes to these top four areas of life called, you know, this one called the body, what I want to do today is I want to look at what I would consider the top two areas of number four. Top two areas of life in the body that most of us, when we hear that, we're going to nod our heads or maybe not nod our heads, but inside we're going to go, yeah, it's not going well. That, that part's not going well for me. And the two parts I want to look at really briefly is this. Food and sexuality, all right? Now, don't run for the door. Grab your kids' ears. So we can't hear this, all right? We're, we're not going to get graphic. And some of you are going, he's getting graphic before. Today's not that day. And we're not going to get too weird, all right? So I, I could have picked any area of life, all right? I could have I said, how about this or how about this? And, and you know what? No matter what I threw out, somebody in the room would go, yeah, that's not going well for me. I had a list already, alcohol, drugs, pornography, language, selfishness, codependency, finances. But the reality is that whatever I would throw out there that make you go, yeah, that's not going very well in my life, there's a reason that's broken. There's a reason. We're not gonna throw stones at anybody. There's a reason that whatever you'd raise your hand and go, yeah, I I can't fix that part of my life. But the truth that we're gonna look at would apply to anything you'd raise your hand on, all right? So that's the first reason. The other thing is, if if I went down that list I, I bet I would leave somebody out and then you'd sit here and go, that, none of those are my issue. This doesn't apply to me. My husband should be here. But you know, and, and that lady, obviously she needs all of them, but, but, but right? So I just said, I'm gonna go to the lowest common denominator. And, and the last time I checked and I looked around the room and I came in, everyone in here, this applies to, everyone here eats food and is either a male or a female. I didn't, I didn't look real close. I'll just be honest, all right? But I'm just assuming that that's what we all have in common is that we, we all eat food and we're either male or female. Now, Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the Bible, especially the last, the last part of the Bible, he would agree that those two areas, food and sexuality, cover a wide umbrella of applications to a lot of areas of life. 
As a matter of fact, when, when he's talking about what a person does sexually with their body, his most common metaphor is he compares it to food. I'll give you an example of this. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's writing to some young Christians who live in Greece, all right? He can't get there, so he writes them a letter, and he, and he quotes. He's not even quoting the Bible here. He's actually quoting a, a philosopher that, that all the Greeks knew all about. And he says, you already know this is true. It goes like this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And we would agree with that. Just because something's legal doesn't mean you should do it, right? Or that it's good for you. Some of you are going, do you think he's talking about Yes, or probably, all right? It's Colorado, right? Right, so, all, <laughs> oh, oh, you're, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> all, I have so many jokes, I'm just going, all right? All, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. How about this? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated. And you can put the word in there, addicted, same word, by anything. And we'd all agree with that. Now, here's the application. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's biology, Here's the spiritual application. And God will destroy both one and the other. And here's, here's the application. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for who? You know, expect him to go, but for sexual morality. It's not meant for bad. It's for, it's, it's meant, that's not what he says. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so right there, Paul makes the connection that what, was you, what you do with your body, in this case sexually, and your relationship with God, you can't separate those and say they don't have anything to do with one another. Eh, not true. One is a statement about the other. But I, but I love that Paul picks these two areas of life, food and sexuality, as his examples, because when it comes to those two areas of life, if you mess them up or get them wrong, unlike other things that you screw up in your life, you can't look at these and go, I just won't do them anymore. Right? I'll just never eat again. That, that'll, that'll, you'll die. I'll just stop being a man. Mm, that, that's... that's that will be horrible. <laughs> that, that, that won't work, all right? See, think about this. If you struggle with addiction, you can rearrange your life, stay out of bars and away from dealers. And I'm not, oh, I, I, that's an oversimplification. There are a lot of steps, there are a lot of things, a lot of hard lifting you have to do. But there's some things that you can say, I just gotta cut off that source. And that takes care of a big part of the problem. But if you struggle with food addi addiction or food issues, we can't just lock you in a room and not feed you. You'll die. And, and even you know, if, if sexuality is coming out sideways in your life, if you were to lock you in a room by yourself or drop you on a deserted island, right, you still take this with you and your body and your hormones and your memories and your creativity. And we're really creative in this area of life. And we take our sexual identity with us wherever we go, broken as it may be for whatever reason. But whatever is broken in your life and it's coming out in a destructive way, either through overeating or undereating or coming out sexually in, in ways that are already have or are about to because you're about to get busted, if they've destroyed the parts of your life, think, think about how many times in your life, these two areas of life, you've looked at them and went, this time it's going to be different. And it's not. How many times have you looked at your life and went, ah, I can't fix this part of my life. I, this is always going to be like this. It causes us to cry out when, when our life hits the wall in these areas of life. The thing that Paul cried out that wrote the Bible when he hit a wall. He'd, he'd say things like this, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever feel like that? That's the last time I'm ever do that. Honey, I swear, that was, I won't go there. I won't do that. I won't be with it. I won't do it. Look at that. All, all, this, all these things we make promises to people in our life, promises to ourselves, promises to God, and then we blow it up again and we look in the mirror and go, you're so wretched. You're horrible. Who will deliver me from this body of death? It's like I'm chained to, to this addiction, to, the, to this thing I keep thinking about. I'm on my own. And listen, Paul just makes it really, really clear. What, what are you going to do? Who's going who's to deliver you? Well, on your own, nobody. On your own, in this broken body. 
with everything that's gone wrong so far and everything that's about to go wrong, on your own, you are condemned. There is no hope. You're a victim. You were a victim. You're always going to be a victim. It's always going to be like this on your own. On your own, put up a white flag and surrender. It's always going to be like this on your own. Which would be a horrible place to stop this message, right? But Paul's not done because he knows and we know, even though we tend to forget, especially when life is really, really crazy, that we are not on our own. We're not. It feels like it sometimes, but we're not. So who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think about it. I'm trying to focus my mind, fix my eyes on Jesus. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Well, that, what, what's that mean? It means this. Even though my flesh, even though my body, ready, will always rebel against God. Always. Let me just clear this up for Christians. There's not some point that if you reach a certain level of spirituality, your body looks at you and goes, okay, I won't fight you anymore. Between now and your funeral, your body will always rebel against God. Your body's going to go, that's what God wants to do? Well, let's go over there, right? It's always going to, there's never a point. But Paul says, even though I live in a body that will always rebel against God, I can and I will serve Jesus. How, how can you say that, Paul? Because Jesus makes impossible things possible. He makes impossible things that I'm trying to do on my own that don't work. He makes them possible with Jesus. It's the song the band sang a minute ago. My body tells me no. And we have these messages coming in from our body. You'll always be like that. You can't stop that. You always have to be like that. Things are never going to change. You're not going to, it's always going to be like that. And I love the lyric of that song. My body tells me something, but I won't quit because I want more. And that's, that's what I want. I do not want this thing to rule my life anymore. It's screwed up too much in my life so, more, so, so far, right? I want more. Jesus says it's possible. Back when Paul was talking about food and sexuality having the potential to destroy everything if it goes wrong, it gets out of bounds, Paul looks at, at this source of protection, healing, and deliverance, the only thing that can rescue us. He says this, look at this, and God raised the Lord. So God raised Jesus from the dead and will also raise us up by his same power. In other words, this, this is gonna blow your minds, right? The same power that God used to say, Jesus, come out of that grave and live. The same power that called Christ from the dead is available to anybody who struggles with any area of life, even these big, these big two. The role that food plays in your life and the way that we express sexuality in a broken world, in a body that does not want to play by the rules. On your own, mm. but with the power that, rose, that raised Jesus from the dead, all things are possible. Even that broken part of your life. Now, I, I, again, in the original version of this, I, I could end with a list of suggestions about what you need to do to get up out of this room and change in your life. I, I talked to a, a personal trainer at my gym and I talked to a dietitian. I pulled out some notes from a conversation I had with a sexual addiction therapist. And, and, and what I was about to tell you, it was good. It was really good. But it's true, it's right. And if that stirs something up into you, you say, I, I'd like to hear some of that stuff, then email me or, or, or call the care ministry here at Flatters and we'll, we'll get get that rolling for you. But that's not what I want to look at. Really, before we start talking about changing things on the outside, physically, relationally, sexually, whatever, right, anything on the outside, if it really is true that the outside is simply an expression of what's going on, right or wrong on the inside, and everything out here is just a symptom, the question is, this is where it gets really intrusive, ready? What's God telling you, and maybe has been telling you for several minutes now, what's Jesus whispering to you, hey, there's something inside of you, and it's broken, and everything going around in your life is just a symptom of that. Right? Now, here's the thing. Is I don't even think you have to pray about it. I think you've been thinking about it for the last half hour or so. You know. I know. Right? What's broken inside? Jesus, that's between you and Jesus. All right? What's broken inside? And it's coming out. And that's why we do the things that we do on the outside. 
So I'm going to give you an illustration of this, and it's a risk, and it's going to be really controversial, and it's going to hijack the sermon for some of you, and you're never going to come back, but just try to push through this. I'm going to tell you about a conversation I had a few months ago with a person that I consider a friend, a person I still care very, very deeply about, all right? And she's transgender. Take a breath, right? And after about three or four, now four years of friendship, she asked me, we've had really hard conversations over the last three or four years. When I met her the first time out in the lobby, and I put this in, in the, that, that dragon book, all right? She says, Am I, can I be here? Of course you can be here. And then she asked me another question. I went, I don't know. This is way above my pay grade. I, I don't, I, this, is, I, this is all new territory for me. I've never dealt with this ever. I, I have no idea what's going on inside of you. But if we'll be patient with each other, we will work through that. And so we've had some really hard conversations over the last three and a half, four, four years. But but we had to make a decision about something a few months ago. And so she asked me, so what do you think about this and the choices I've made? And we talked about this, you know, before. And so I, was, I, I, did, I, was, I did a lot of research because I knew I was going to have a conversation with her in my office, which we did. And I wanted to give her the, the best answer I could for my very limited understanding, which is what a lot of us struggle about. We don't know how to talk about this, all right? And I came across an article from Johns Hopkins University, one of the leading hospitals in the world. And Johns Hopkins... They, they used to, they no longer do sexual reassignment surgeries. Not because they're not good at it. Not because they don't know how to do them. They're, they're, when they did them, they were some of the best in the world. But the, the reason they stopped doing that surgery is because, according to them, it doesn't help. That's what, that's what they, they, they don't work. What do you mean? They don't fix something that's going on inside of a person internally. And the comparison that they use in this article, what's crazy to me is and they don't even know that they're agreeing with the Bible and the same comparison that Paul used that we just read together. But what, what Dr. Paul McHugh, University Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry at John Hopkins Medical School and the former psychiatrist-in-chief at John Hopkins Hospital, that's a mouthful, this is what he says. He says, gender dysphoria, and that's the, the psychiatric or the medical term for, for someone believing them to, to be, themselves to be the opposite sex. So there's a medical term for that. Gender dysphoria's treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats obesity-fearing anorexic patients with liposuction. The treatment should strive to correct the false prob problematic nature of the assumption and to resolve the internal psychosocial conflicts provoking it. And, and in other words, trying to change somebody's sexual identity through cosmetic external surgery is like trying to fix anorexia with, with liposuction and just cutting off fat. It doesn't work because it doesn't, it ignores the real thing that's broken inside of a person. Now don't respond to that. I, I don't know where you land on this issue. And I know that just bringing it up brings up a lot of emotion. I've had several really good conversations this weekend. But my point is this, if you can push through this, it goes like this, whatever is broken or coming out wrong in our life on the outside may feel like our biggest problem. And we are convinced that if we could change the outside, if we could change this and what it looks like and what it, what it feels like, if we could change our circumstances, if we could change whatever it is, we are convinced that if the outside would change, then our inside would be better. We'd be happier. We'd finally have peace. If I could just change the outside, things would get better on the inside. And Jesus would say, you actually have it backwards. Right? Jesus would say this, unless or until something changes on the inside, what, what, what's going on on the outside won't ever get better, really, or matter. And even if you can try hard and grit hard and make some temporary changes for a while, Jesus says, it's like painting a tomb. You can paint it, it's pretty, you take outside of a mausoleum, you paint it whatever color you want. It doesn't change that the inside is full of death. And a lot of us, we, we, we really connect with that because we get up out of bed every morning trying to look right and do right and have the right things and surround ourselves with the right thing and hate the things and change this about ourselves because we think that if I can do that, maybe something will change on the inside. But 
a, a, a tomb, a, a casket that's painted real pretty, but full of death. A lot of us would go, I feel like that every day. I think Jesus is pretty smart. I think he nails it there. So we started this under review series with God. What do I believe to be true about God, who he is and what he's like and who I am to him? And what I've realized in this series is that everything comes back to that and how we answer that question, right? Everything, money, friends, marriage, family, health, sexuality, who and what we run to when life gets hard. So I'm done. Here's what we're gonna do, all right? And I want you to stay all the way. We're gonna sing two songs, right? Because it's, re- it's really, really, really important. And if you get up and, and leave, you're gonna interrupt somebody's time with God. So just, you're okay, all right? So stay, all right? So I- I'm gonna pray. And then I'm gonna put a, a few paragraphs on the screens for you to think about. And this is where I really suggest you get a camera out and take a picture of these screens because they're, they're pretty big. And I want you to think about them all week if you're willing to do that. But I want you to look at them and I want you to honestly put, pick one that really just connects with your heart, put it under review and then ask yourself, what, what is off in me? What is broken inside of me? What's Jesus telling me? That's that one. That's the one for you. You can't fix your whole life today, all right? But what's one step you could take that you believe that God would want you to take to bring you closer to taking hold of truth and grace? So we're gonna do a couple songs. And some of us, we just pop up as soon as the music starts. I'm gonna ask you not to do that. I want you to sit here until you know which one. Which one? You don't know I have it all figured out what you're gonna do, but that's the one I'm gonna think about or rethink that part of my life all week long. What my life, that part of my life would look like if I, if I took a risk and put it inside the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus says is, is true and better. I'm gonna pray, read these screens, sing two songs, and then, then we'll go home. So let's pray. God, so that's it. For the last month in here, God, we have come in here, sang songs and prayed prayers, stood up, sat down, opened the Bible, looked at Bible verses, heard Jim and Scott say, hey, you might wanna consider this. And all that comes to this point right here. What am I gonna do now? I'm gonna put my life on the table and put it under review and there it is, all the most tender parts of my life. Now God, what do you want me to pay attention to? What, what in my life needs to be more of that? What, what needs to not be at the table of my life anymore? What needs to be redirected in a different way? What are you telling me? I need to call a timeout, make a new strategy for my life and from this point on, that part of my life needs to line up with who you say I am. I am to you who I was created to be and closer to you, a God who loves me. So God, we're gonna ask you to do exactly only, what only you can do in these next few minutes. Teach us what you wanna teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.